This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on washing and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. We are the Blaze Radio Network, and today's Jailing News will tell you, our audience, the state of the union here at the Blaze Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone stand. The president of the JLE News, Excelsior. Welcome back, my partners, my radio family. Whew, it's like a marathon in these weeks. And when it's once a week, it's exciting and taxing. When it's twice a week, it's exciting, it's taxing. And I go into a light, psychotic state. So you'll want to be listening when I say something that causes me to... Ask my friends here, wait, did I just say that out loud? Is there anything you could do about it? Welcome to the Blaze Radio Network. So, too, is in the rearview mirror. What do we know? We continue to ask. one 888 The first order of business of course, is to recall that our sailors kidnapped by the Revolutionary Guard of Iran have been returned. And we are still trying to figure out what, beyond the fairly mild but absolutely you know, provable, violations of the Geneva Convention to which they subjected our prisoners. Trying to figure out beyond that whether there is anything, and it may take a while. Scoff if you like, but the notion of things implanted a la Manchurian candidate, I know, I know I sound like a nut, but you know that all smart people sound nuts when they think of things that the routine mind 
uh, you know, just doesn't, just does not have occurred to it. When you take our sailors or soldiers and you hold them for 24 hours, who knows what you can do to them? Who knows what experiments can be run in them? Who knows what foods or medicines or experimental chips, tracking chips, they could all, without any recollection on their part, have been induced into a coma, you know, into unconsciousness, during which time uh, surgeries could have been performed on them that, that, that don't leave a mark. And by that I mean the simple, quick insertion of a chip, a locator chip, an Intel chip. I don't know, and I know, I know it sounds stupid, but I also know it isn't stupid. Is it unlikely? I don't know. Certainly not implausible. But as to the minor violations, they made them stay in uncomfortable positions, put their hands up for hours over their heads. They were questioned in front of the media, which is a clear, uh, immediate violation of the Geneva Conventions. Uh, they made them apologize. You know, thank you for kidnapping us. Thank you for letting us go. Thank you for feeding us. You've been wonderful. But they're here. And the fact that Obama and John Kerry ended up also apologizing them, apologizing to them, the Iranians, they have no excuse. They have not been grabbed and had a chip inserted. Though I think that John Kerry and that little humpback that follows him around would, would enjoy that. But I don't have anything I can prove at this moment. I'd also like to add, by way of very important housekeeping here, administrative matters, there is a new uh, Best of Jay Severin podcast, or broadcast, right, B? Should I call it a a broadcast? A broadcast. Yeah, it's a live broadcast. The Best of Jay, and it runs uh, at 10 a.m. to noon, 10 to 12, 10 to noon, Eastern Time, Every Saturday morning. So Best of Jay, every Saturday morning, 10 to noon Eastern. And I would be most appreciative if you'd check it out and if you would mention it to someone that you think would enjoy it and especially to someone you think it might cause heart arrhythmia. Uh, And the same goes, by the way, for... See, I don't play the Twitter game. I Twitter, I tweet. But what I don't do is I never use hashtags unless, like last night, I, I, was, <clears throat> I was told I would help the broadcast if I, if I used a hashtag, a company hashtag, so I did, of course. But normally on my own, I don't fool with it, generally because I don't have room. What I have to say takes at least 140 characters. But I understand by clever manipulation of the hashtag, that's how you get more exposure and get more people. Well, I've never done that. Now, I'll do my part. I'll start, I'll try to start doing that. But, you know, as our uh, Twitter base goes, so goes our ability to get our message out, your message, my message. And so I'd like to, I'd like to get some more 
tweeps. Can you help me? Will you help me? Will you think of, you know, one or two, maybe even get grandiose on me, three people that you might send along my Twitter address and say, you know, I think you'd enjoy this. That's all. And that's it. I, I think I asked about a year ago. Uh, I'll ask you about once a year. And uh, not because I'm not ambitious, but just I don't, you know, you 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 have enough to do. So I don't ask, uh, I don't like asking you for that. Okay. State of the Union. We don't have the expertise, although it's all about us. Oddly enough, we don't have the expertise to begin to ask the questions about what is the state of our union. Although you and I do sense very strongly that we and our fellow citizens sense very strongly that the state of the union right now, the status of our country, the state of our union is goat poop, is dung. And we've never had a politician who is willing uh, or politically suicidal such that he or she would stand up there and say, the state of the union is dung, uh, or even dung chowping. But we happen to know it's dung. What we can do is talk about what we said would happen in advance, what did happen, and what it means, and then get ourselves right back into the immediate politics, which, after all, are the sex scenes in this broadcast. The sex scenes is the polls, the politics, the personalities, and we're going to be getting right to them. I propose first, we'll take a little bit of time to take a look back at the State of the Union, because in order to do what did the State of the Union mean, and I ask you that, that's my question to you today, what did what did the State of the Union suggest to you? What did you hear? What occurred to you if you were listening or watching? Uh, at your office number and mine, one 3393 uh, until you are ready to hold forth, I shall hold forth. And my objective is to say uh, the best way to understand what Obama did on this past week of the State of the Union was to consider what we said in advance, what Guru Jay say, predicted he would do, and then see how well we did in terms of what we expected and what happened. And then to take a look at what was said and what it means and also take a big, long look with a big, long, deserved laugh at the new rhino princess, Nikki Haley of South Carolina, who has just made herself famous by uh, going out and saying, delivering her political Ph.D., which consists of these weighty words. Can't we all just get along? This is Jay Severin, Severin. on the Blaze Radio Network. 
When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on wash and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. And only with the best and brightest here at one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three one triple eight three three nine three. Okay, <clears throat> so until we get uh, farther down the lane, and as I say, this campaign, our civics, our lives as it inv- it involves our engagement in you know whether we like it or not frankly the, the the civic circus maximus is about to gear up for the kind of show it has rarely given and as i have recently said i believe that we are blessed i i i choose to characterize it that way but you may say cursed i don't know but we are blessed, in my view, with the most animated, most important, most dangerous, most prospectively fulfilling, most exciting period of American public life and of shared citizenship, of shared interest, of shared entertainment of shared responsibility since the Civil War of the United States. And before that, the War of Our Independence. I honestly believe that's how important this election is. When you freeze frame, when you screen grab the Civic Circus Maximus of the United States of America right now, What you've got is a picture that tells you this is a moment in history we have not seen since the Civil War. When we are, realistically, and quite plausibly, looking at a choice, especially at this moment, at this crucial swing spark of a moment in American history, between electing Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And again, it could be that the names will change. And with those name changes, 
go circumstantial changes. But right now, among other challenges, one that it is plausible, not reliable, not predictable, not even likely. I'm just trying to be neutral here. But it is plausible, or at least it is, how about this? It is not implausible that at this moment, this nation faces the ultra-profound choice between two different camps of human beings, each of whom embodies a set of values and beliefs, <clears throat> pardon me, values and beliefs, which could not be more different if one candidate was born and raised on Saturn and the other born and raised on Neptune. Only that makes it sound mystical and romantic. And there's really nothing mystical or romantic about it unless you consider the romanticism of how we'll go into this, we'll litigate it, we'll adjudicate it, we'll come out of it, and however we do, we'll come out of it in one piece together as Americans. For how long, I don't know, because I honestly believe, and my sense of history tells me, the choices we make in the next several days, weeks, and months actually will determine whether or not the United States of America, as we have known it, continues to exist in any form such as we've become familiar with its existence. That's how big this is, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, what recently did we hear in the State of the Union? Well, I think the best way to describe it is the State of the Union was a mashup. It was an Obama mashup, wasn't it? It was just a mashup of every Obama song he's ever released in one great Hussein album. I think to consider our record and his, we should very quickly take a look as we do with debates and other events that we can in advance consider and then look back and say, well, did were we were we on this one? Or were we way off? Okay, we said the State of the Union would be a big challenge because at this moment, who can actually come out and with any degree of honesty say what is the State of the Union of the United States? And that state, by the way, is, to be kind, extraordinarily lame. More truthfully, it's a dung sandwich, and it's spoiling in the sun. There is the fact that we have an economy unrecognizable to anyone over 40. We have a president who gets up and says, 
I've grown jobs. Look at all the jobs. And almost no one knows. My family knows. My children know. But a lot of grown-ups don't. This economy is going to crash. It is the weakest economy we've had before, during, or since the Great Depression. This is a depression. The reason that we have low unemployment is that we have 100 million Americans eligible to work who are not working. And yes, we have our great, great share of bums, of welfare cheats, of layabouts uh, who will never work no matter what because they would rather sit on their ass and eat potato chips and watch Judge Judy and not work. We have them. That's true. But we have millions of proud, heartbroken people who can't find a job because what Obama has done is make sure that businesses only give jobs of 30 hours or less per week. When you, when you delve into the statistics, and no one wants to. I'm not serious when I say that. I don't expect you to do that. But anybody who has to do it for work, like me, the jobs, the new jobs, are all 20 hours a week or less. Jay Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Partners, forgive me. I'm going to speak a strict English here and logic for the next few moments. I don't think our departures from same are very regular, but just a warning for those uncomfortable with either medium of rationality or English. A report by the President of the United States to to us, to the people, each year as to the state we're in. How are we doing? How, 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 how are we doing? You can imagine back in the 17 and 1800s, we had no idea how we were doing. We knew that news took three months, you know, sometimes to get from... New York to San Francisco. So once a year, the Republican, sorry, once a year, the President of the United States was required to deliver to Congress in any form, really, a letter, a performance, a report as to the State of the Union. This past week, Obama was required to make good on that constitutional requirement. Did he? From anything you heard, watched, or, or, or read, did, do you have a sense of the state of our union? Do, do you believe Obama tried to focus 
primarily at least, on answering that question, on giving us information on the state of our union. No. We thought in advance, and we have it on the record, we have it on tape, we thought that the State of the Union would not be a traditional State of the Union, but instead it would be an infomercial for replete with lies for all the things he claims to have done despite the mindless opposition of anyone who doesn't agree with him. We said in advance, and we have it on tape, that this would appear, as much as anything, a presentation like an, to an ad agency. Like, I've got this great campaign, and it's to boost the legacy, the memory and the legacy of Barack Hussein Obama. And so I'd like to give you that legacy presentation right now. Here are the things I want me remembered for. I want to be cast in a statue in the middle of Washington. Let me give you this commercial for my future in Washington. And you notice he came out and said, I don't want to talk about the past. I want to talk about where I'll be going, we'll be going in the next five to ten years. And the reason for that is, as we said prior to the State of the Union, the purpose of this for Obama was utterly different than what you thought the purpose of it was. This was a opportunity to do, to present his shadow presidency. Michelle and I aren't going anywhere. And here are the things we're going to be working on for the next 10 years. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because you heard it 24 hours, or you said it, you know, recently. Also, in the walk up to the State of the Union, we said he will slam conservatives. He will praise lightly some of the rhino Republicans who worked across the aisle in cooperative fashion with him to get things done because it's the right thing to do. We said the media would fawn over him and over rhinos who praised him and the media would fawn over the person who delivered the Republican response. Because though the Republican response is tailored to be an adversarial response, right? The Republican response, the, Repub- the response of the other party, no matter who's in office, the response is supposed to be the perspective, the adversarial perspective, the argument of the other side and we said well that won't happen it will be some republican some rhino who comes out and says that you know obama's right and uh, you shouldn't be listening to those crazy conservatives 
We did ask whether Republicans in the audience would stay in their seats largely or whether they would be uh, become ass puppets on a string jumping up and down for Obama, led or not led by Paul Ryan, the new speaker. As it turns out, the single good thing about the State of the Union, <clears throat> I have to, to say, is that I was utterly surprised and delighted at the percentage of Republicans who stayed in their seats because the Dumbo Democrats jumped up and gave a standing ovulation to Obama uh, no matter what he said. He said I, I th- by the way, I think it's a little hot in here. Would someone open a window? Also, as I say, we talked about the respondor for the Republicans. It turned out to be a known rhino of gigantic proportions, Nikki Haley, the governor of South Carolina, who is telegenic, but who is an Obamunist. And she came out and said, hey, look, you know, Obama's trying. I mean, you can't. And then she went on with a litany of pro-Obama perspectives. Nikki Haley, please elect me vice president or more. Haley, the rhino princess. She bashed conservatives. She bashed Trump, particularly. She bashed outsiders. She said Republicans are just as responsible for polarization in this country as are Democrats. Nikki Haley said there are too many loud voices. That's a bad thing. So, you know, when something bad is happening in your country, let it go. You know, let it go. Like if Sharia law comes to this country and they start stoning to death little girls because they go to school, You maybe you can think about doing something about it, but not if you have to raise your voice. Not if you have to be a loud voice. You know, like those ugly conservatives. We must cooperate across the aisle, said earlier in the day by Chris Christie, by the way. Um, we must welcome all people of the world to the United States. And by the way, this this dung was believed by the rhinos. They were saying to themselves, wow, isn't it about time someone said this? We were really worried. We were really worried that the people on the Republican side running for president you know, actually were defining Republicanism. And that worried us because that doesn't sound like any of us. Thank God Nikki Haley could come out and tell the truth about what it means to be Republicans. We just want to get along. Can't we all just sing Kumbaya and get along? Oh, they loved her. The media loved her. And by the way, the various tweets that came out 
the various tweets that came out about Nikki Haley's performance came from all of the usual suspects, except for one. I'll name one of the usual suspects and one of the others. From the usual suspects, George Bush, Heb Bush, tweeted, thank you to Nikki Haley for telling it like it is about how we can all get along if we ignore the voices of hate and conservatism and all of this. I mean, George Bush, sorry, Heb Bush lost probably 10,000 votes with that tweet. And that means he's in deficit right now. That means he's, he's underwater with his votes probably. But the tweet I was eager to mention was the one that Ann Coulter, God, I love her. Ann Coulter sent out a tweet saying, if Trump's going to deport anybody, he ought to deport Nikki Haley. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, best and brightest. Our office number is one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. Do you think that lottery fantasy is good therapy? I kind of do. I would have other stages of my life thought that the saddest, most pathetic dumbest thing ever i admit not having the money but not having it and fantasizing about it because that that i don't do that i would never do that's very different you know to sit around and say well, gee i wish i had that's that's that i do regard as dumb because it's that's just it's 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 it'll it'll rot you it'll kill you you can't sit around saying i wish i wish i had you go out and do. But when you can affix it to something real, like the lottery, and when I say real, I am, of course, using relative terms because the minute I get excited when, <clears throat> like my child bride came home a little while ago with with a couple of tickets, and I, I got all excited, and then I saw one of the TV screens surrounding me said that, I have an infinitely greater chance of being struck and killed by a meteorite than I do of, of, of winning the lottery, which was kind of a bummer. You know, I hadn't, that wasn't in my plans. You know, get numbers, cash check, <clears throat> get struck by a meteorite. Anyway, but I think, I think maybe depending on what they are, Lottery fantasies are, are good therapy. Now, I this is not a holier-than-thou segment. Believe me. You've never heard one on this show, and you never will. <clears throat> I hope I maintain enough mental faculties here to appreciate that I'm never in a position 
to be preaching uh, about virtually anything. But, uh, but I think that lottery fantasies are good in some cases. And in our case, we sit around, I mean, I sit around and think about to whom I would give the money. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying uh, I'm going to give away all the money. And I'm aware of my verb tense here. I, I said not to, you know, to whom I would give away the money. I, I'm saying to whom I will give the money because that's part of the lottery fantasy. I believe I'm going to win. I do. I believe I'm going to win. And so believing you're going to win is part of the fantasy. And the therapy of that is thinking about, just think about the people in your life. Some of them who, whose first name you might not know, whose second name you might not know, but there's someone and you see them every day and <clears throat> you think how you could help them. You could change their lives. And then you think about people and institutions who have done good things for you. And I think of the, the, the teachers that, uh, who, uh, in, in a, in a private school who taught my kids who could have made more money somewhere else, but it was important to them to, to teach and they wanted to teach certain kinds of kids. And so they don't have anything, you know, they don't, a lot of other teachers get to go on vacations and do other things, but these guys don't because the pay is so poor. Um, I mean, can you imagine what a joy it would be to march in there and say to the headmaster, okay, every faculty member as of right now gets, you know, $250,000 in cash and a guaranteed salary of the same, you know, just those kinds of things. Let us dream. Let us dream. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. We are the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jaily News, and we are in the middle of it. Excelsior. All right, partners, what do you say <clears throat> we get these phones stirring at one 888 Pardon me. Lord knows we have a stable of experts around the country, indeed, across the world, waiting to weigh in to millions of people who will be at once and forever influenced to some degree by what you think. What do you think here on the Blaze Radio Network? one 3393 We are in the middle of the most sensitive, extraordinary, 
blessed, cursed, heavy, thrilling, dangerous, important moment in the civics circus maximus that we as Americans have been in ever since the Civil War. Forget the names. I know it's hard to do, but trust me. Do you trust me? Trust me this much. Trust me to forget the names, even though I must mention them. I want you to focus on the substance, not on the names. This nation is choosing between you know everything that's wrong. You know that Hillary Clinton is a, is a criminal and probably a traitor, maybe on the edge of being proven seditious. Hillary Clinton may, probably won't, in fact, won't, but the people in charge at the highest reaches of government believe Hillary, govern, uh, Hillary Clinton is guilty of sedition, of being a traitor, not merely of email, classified email sloppiness, but of trading, that is to say legally, selling information favorable to foreigners, often secret information, to Americans or foreigners in exchange for money while she was Secretary of State? Or did you really think that the Clintons, who had so little money that they had to steal silverware and lamps and rugs and furniture? This was the most shameful story never given media attention in my lifetime perhaps in American history. It is an established fact that the Clintons were caught stealing silverware, lamps, rugs, tables, chairs from the White House. Now, whether or not one has money, does that validate every awful goober stereotype or every awful Clinton stereotype that you ever harbored? These same people with no money such that they had to steal White House silverware so they could eat their TV dinners with White House silverware. These people all of a sudden went from zero liquidity and tens of millions of dollars in debt to being some of the richest people in America. Suddenly, the Clinton Foundation was open and suddenly, people in Saudi Arabia, Yemen, China, Korea, Iran, South America, America were willing to pay Bill Clinton, here's one example, as I recall, 
the South Korean Grocers Association paid Bill Clinton $10 million. for one or a few speeches on God only knows what. And the Clintons went from being indebted and bankrupt to now being worth, by all accounts, more than one billion dollars. A billion dollars from nothing. In two, three, four years. Why are people willing to pay Hillary Clinton a million dollars for a 10-minute speech when she's Secretary of State? Is she really that interesting? Are her insights that valuable? Uh, I'll let you answer the question. I believe that the RICO laws, the anti-racketeering RICO laws, about which we should ask, and I ought to ask, my friend, my dear friend, Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York, ask Rudy, ask him to come on the show and tell us what the RICO laws are, the racketeering laws, and whether they were not, in fact, designed exactly for criminals such as the Clintons are. But here we are, and... None of that actually, you know, everything I just said, that almost doesn't matter. Hillary Clinton is a bust-out, low-rent, hairball, trailer camp thief. And you know what? I'm not sure that matters. I mean, of course it matters when you're picking a president, but I don't think it much matters to anybody. And now we switch to Donald Trump. I'm begging you not to think about the names. I know I just told you all these things Hillary Trump, uh, or Hillary Trump, Hillary Clinton did. Forget that it's Hillary Clinton. It could be anybody else. It could be Donna Smith. Okay? It could be a woman named Donna Smith. The fact is, a woman named Donna Smith who has done these things is this close to being president of the United States. When I switch over to Donald Trump, I could give you a litany. Well, I couldn't actually give you a litany of illegal things Donald Trump has done uh, because I don't know of them. But I I could, in fairness, you know, mention that here's a guy that, as someone said yesterday, has probably never read the Constitution, probably lacking in a full understanding of what it means. has been at various times in his life uh, uh, on various parts of both sides of an issue, uh, et cetera, et cetera, is, is not by any traditional means qualified to be president, though our challenge is that neither is he disqualified to be president. But when I say we are at that moment, at that hair on the back of your neck stand-up moment, we are choosing with all of the all of the unspeakable problems we face, challenges we face right now in the United States, 
we are facing very plausibly, not certainly, not at all certainly, but we are very plausibly facing the choice of a presidency in the hands of a chronic liar, an inveterate thief, and a sworn Marxist. Or, at best, an unknown given to admittedly intemperate and generally uh, ignorant statements about precise matters of state. Imagine either of those people guiding the United States of America in this moment of history. That's what we face because plausibly, not surely, but very plausibly, that is the choice you are going to have. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Here we go, a blaze of wicked had politics of the moment right now through the end of the show. Here we go. Trump presses Cruz on the ineligible attack. I have mentioned that I don't see Trump's polling. There is polling I see I can't, I can tell you about, but I just can't tell you how. But I don't see Trump's polling. But I, uh, long story short, as long as Trump is hitting Cruz on the citizenship thing, it's hurting. As long as Trump is hitting Cruz on the citizenship thing, the very worst that it's costing Trump is that he's losing out of 10 voters who hear this message. Cruz is not eligible. You may like him, you may not like him, but... If he gets the nomination and the Democrats sue, oh, my God. And now we don't know if we have a candidate because the lawsuit, it drags on. Okay. Uh, Whatever you think of that, whatever I think of that, it's Trump is hitting Cruz with it. And I can tell you, as I told you yesterday, a big poll comes out today the Des Moines Register poll. It is the best of all local polls done by local newspapers in America, in my experience. The Des Moines Register poll is better than any other local poll. Now, that's a dubious distinction because most local newspaper polls are what most newspapers are for, which is wrapping yesterday's fish or training today's parakeet. But the Des Moines Register poll has been the most accurate and best poll for 40 years in the Iowa primary. And in that poll that was issued today, 
Ted Cruz is down six points. And we know why that is. I mean, Cruz hasn't done anything. It's what Trump is doing. Trump is hammering Cruz with the you are not a natural born citizen. And it doesn't mean that people believe that. But the fact that a Democrat, that the Democrats are going to launch a lawsuit is believable because it is probably true. And that's all you have to believe to believe there's a problem. You can love Ted Cruz to death like I do. You can be devoted to Ted Cruz. But if you believe that the Democrats are going to launch a lawsuit, then I tell you, it's a problem. And on caucus night, when they stand up, stand up in the school auditorium, hundreds and thousands of people, and they caucus in separate, 99 separate, 99 separate county cockeye around the state of Iowa, and people say, I love Cruz, I want him to be president, but I'm hereby walking from the Cruz table over to the Rubio table. Boo, boo, hiss, hiss, Henry, you bastard, I'll never buy a snow tire from you again. Yeah, yeah, all well and good. The fact is, people want to elect a president for reasons we talked about at some emotional length. We don't want an America that is Hillary Clinton's America. And so even if you love Cruz, if you believe a lawsuit about his eligibility is a problem, you might love him, but you might leave him. That's a problem. Meanwhile, Cruz has now taken off the gloves, relatively speaking, for the first time. Ted Cruz is push-polling Trump in Iowa. Now, that's a term of art, push-polling. I don't know if you know what it means, but uh, I've conducted it, written it, designed it, analyzed it, used it unashamedly. uh, 30 years, I could tell you what it is. Push-polling is when you conduct a poll over the telephone just like you do a normal poll. But the actual purpose of the poll is not to end up with people's opinions at the end that you can measure. Instead, the purpose of it is a Trojan horse. It's to masquerade as a poll, but actually use the poll to spread poison, true or untrue, about your opponent. Okay? Here's how uh, a push poll might sound. Phone rings. Phone's picked up, and the phone calls are, of course, highly targeted. And you're, you're targeting born-again and evangelical Christians. Phone rings. Hello? Hello? This is the ABC Polling Corporation. And if you have just a moment, I would like to discuss this very important campaign with you and offer you some facts, crucial facts, that you may not know. So most voters say, okay, tell me. And they say, okay, I have a few questions to ask you. Question number one, 
Did you know that Donald Trump hates Jesus, wears Pontius Pilate T-shirts around the house, and worships Satan in his spare time? Did you know that? Yes or no? Next question. Would you say the fact that Donald Trump hates Jesus, wears Pontius Pilate T-shirts around the house, and worships Satan, would you say that this fact makes you more or less likely to vote for Donald Trump? And that may be the entire thing, or there may be three so-called questions like that. It's called push polling. The idea is to come in under the guise of a poll and the guise of the format of a question, but the purpose of the call is to spread a message about your opponent. So you're not polling to find out what people really think. You're quote-unquote polling to make essentially attack phone calls. Now, Cruz has started doing this against Trump in Iowa. And I'm given to understand that Trump is pretty greatly unhappy about it. So does this mean that Trump takes off the gloves even more against Cruz? And more importantly, what would that look like? What would that say? What would that mean? Well, I could tell you automatically it means that it would get, well, ugly. I mean ugly. Did I say ugly? No, I mean fugly. It would be fugly is what it would be. Now, we here, as your correspondents, naturally, can we can only report to you and hope. Let's see what happens. It's on. Seven on the Blaze Radio Network. And my partners here on the Blaze Radio Network. God, I love this so. It's going to be so exciting every day. The trick is going to be fitting it all in. one 888 one We have a feature. Guru Jay's Crystal Balls, where by virtue of my vast experience producing, writing, directing television ads for political candidates in this and other parts of the world. We play them, and I give you a kind of a snap analysis as to how and whether they're working and why I think so or not. One spot that we had that we did not play is the one you're about to hear. We are making an exception because B has... Uh, astutely noticed that this is an attack on a front runner by someone at the kids table. Now that generally doesn't occur. So 
we thought because it's an oddity of sorts, we would listen. This is either Santorum or Santorum's pack, if he has one, evidently attacking Rubio. I like green eggs and ham. Ted Cruz is wonderful at reading children's fairy tales on the Senate floor. Sam, I am. Rick Santorum spent his time in the Senate a little differently. Eight years on the Senate Armed Services Committee, helping to modernize today's army to better be prepared for today's threats. Santorum also wrote and passed tough laws, putting harsh sanctions on Iran. And for more than a decade, Rick Santorum has been a leader taking on radical Islam. Not all Muslims are jihadists, and no one would say that. But the reality is, all jihadists are Muslims. You want someone to read one hell of a bedtime story? Ted Cruz is your guy. If you want to protect America and defeat ISIS, Rick Santorum's your president. Because serious times need serious people. I'm Rick Santorum, and I approve this message. I apologize to you. Uh, B had just finished telling me who it was, and I don't know why I got it in my mind. It was Santorum attacking whoever I said, but it was Santorum attacking Cruz. Uh, Here's why that would be. Because the first question about any spot always is, is it strategically sound? Forget about creative. That is the biggest, I mean, I, 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 uh, one of the favorite parts of what I used to do was my presentation to prospective clients when I got to blow out of the water the notion that they might be thinking of hiring someone or they said to me, geez, we, we saw this spot, and we, would you do things like this? And they'd show me a really highly creative spot, quote-unquote, highly creative. And I would say to them, gentlemen, ladies, I, I, I don't use creative the way you do. I happen to know that political spots are graded the way they work or don't work. Information, persuasion, like-dislike. And recall. That may mean that a spot with carnivals, pachyderms, clowns, exploding fireballs, clever one-liners, the the candidate shot out of a cannon, all of that may work spectacularly well. But In 99 out of 100 cases, it is a spectacular failure for a variety of reasons. Because people are thinking about creative, which they know nothing about. And also creative doesn't mean whether it's got explosions or spangles or shiny things on it. Creative, how creative a commercial is, is whether or not it convey it captures the interest of and conveys to a particular audience which you have creatively located through superior media targeting the voters not that you have but the voters that you don't have and that you need this was a spot by santorum or his pack against Cruz. 
my guess is the reason that it becomes worth playing is that Santorum won the Iowa primary. I'm sorry, the Iowa caucus last time. I don't know if you guys remember. Mitt Romney was said to have won. We all went to bed that night. All the networks had done all of their analysis about, well, Mitt Romney, he won Iowa. They said he couldn't do it. He's done it. He's in this. Man, he's the front runner. He's on his way. We didn't know until, I believe, what was it, two weeks later, that Mitt Romney had not won. Santorum won. And one of the reasons, charmingly, in my view, is that Iowa isn't a bunch of interconnected machines with wires. Iowa is a caucus. And a caucus ain't like a primary. A caucus, you have to go show up in person on a rainy, cold, snowy night, traipsing through the slop to get to the local... uh, library, school, gymnasium, whatever, church basement, where people set up simple tables and chairs and have a stick with a sign on it, and the sign says Rubio, or the sign says Cruz, or the sign says whatever. I mean, they're they're held separately, the Republicans, Democrats, separate nights. And there, everyone goes to the table of their preferred candidate, whereupon they start to argue. You know, hey, Ruth, what are you doing over there with with Trump? Come on over here to the Christie table. Oh, Ralph, I told you, you know, that Christie guy, at the end of the night, some people convince people, some people don't. Sometimes there are whole groups of people who trade places. Sometimes no one bats an eye. I've been to the caucuses. Uh, They're wonderful. They're marvelous. They're magnificently American. I can't think of anything more American than a caucus. And that, by the way, the reason I'm using this time here, is that's the reason that people wonder about Trump. When Trump is ahead in a primary state, well, that's fairly easy to measure. And you assume when Trump or anybody is ahead in a primary state, what you're talking about is drive to the high school, leave the car running, run in, poke a hole in a card, you know, draw the, draw the cloth behind you in the cone of silence. It's all private pull a lever, poke a hole in a card, get out, get back in the car, go home. In most places, you know, it takes 15 minutes. And you don't share the experience with anyone. It's a secret ballot. But a caucus, as I have described it, is an entirely different horse of a different color. And the dynamic is different, utterly different, and beautiful, I think. In any case... To get people to caucus is very different. When you've got volunteers out in each of those 99 counties, 
And they're going to people saying, now, will you be there for us? Will you go? And the good, the good organizations will say, do you need a ride? The good organizations will, and I'm about to get into this, the good organizations have a ground game. And that ground game means they know every one of their voters by name. <clears throat> they know their intentions. They know what time they're going to vote know their names, and they're going to get them to the polls themselves if they have to. They're going to send a taxi if they have to. They'll ride them there on a bicycle in the snow if they have to. The question is, no one doubts Trump's ability to appeal to people in primary states. Go in, bang the lever, leave. But the deepest commitment required in American politics is people who must undergo or as I would characterize it enjoy the experience, the joy the the, un, the unqualified quintessential American joy of a caucus with my neighbors that takes a lot more the question is if it ends up that there's a five-point difference between Cruz, I'm guessing, call it three, call it five, call it eight. If there is a, a fighting difference between Trump and Cruz in Iowa, or anybody and anybody, but especially if it's somebody like Trump about whom there is a doubt, that he can get people to go out in the mud and the snow for three hours and caucus for him. And, and people like Cruz, about whom there seems to be little doubt that people will go stand in the snow and do this for him. So no lead, virtually no lead is almost big enough because the decision on that Tuesday... When you're home from work, are you going to put on three socks, three sets of socks, your bean fishing boots, long underwear, your hat, your parka, all this stuff, go heat up the car? You know, you know the deal. I mean, are you going to do that for someone? Or are you going to say, oh, I'm sure he's going to do fine. I like him. I hope he does well. But look at it outside. I'm freezing my butt now, and I'm inside. I mean, can, can, can Trump caucus a victory in Iowa? This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jay Severin Show. And these are my partners. Uh, and so that's why we play that spot for you, because Santorum won. And so he gets a spot on, and it was against Cruz. So 
Hillary Clinton is becoming concerned. And it must be a great frustration for her because there really is no reason for concern as far as I am concerned. You can't tell her that, though. I mean, if she's paying me to be her campaign manager, you know, or uh, not manager, but a strategist, I can't tell her, don't worry about it. She's going to take my head off. You never tell a client, don't worry about it, even if you know there's nothing to worry about. And I'd say right now, there's not nothing to worry about, but there's very little about which to worry. Even so, Hillary's once commanding lead in the national polling is dropping, dropping, dropping. Now, again, I reiterate, the national polls mean virtually nothing. Ignore them. We don't have a national election. We never have had one. We do not have a national election. We have 50 individual state elections that happen to culminate on the same day, but which have nothing to do with each other technically. You can't transfer the losing votes of one or the winning votes of one into another. You can't, like if you lose in Illinois, you can't say, yeah, but look, I won by a two million in Wisconsin. Can I take some of those? No, you can't. National polls do give a smoky glass view of where the national electorate is kind of leaning, but they really don't help you tactically. Really not at all. But it does affect the media. The media doesn't know, or if they do, they pretend like they don't know, you know, or don't care. And the media treats them the same. So Hillary drops 10 points in national polls. All of a sudden, it's a big deal, right? But then the big deal that is a big deal is that Hillary Clinton has dropped in Iowa. She's dropped to the point, and again, Hillary has to caucus. Hillary in a, in a primary state, different story. But Bernie is one of these guys that's been out there living in a soup can and going to every one of Iowa's 99 counties, showing his face, doing the you know, slog work. And Hillary hasn't. And so she may not end up, she probably will, but she plausibly won't win Iowa. If she doesn't win Iowa, it looks like she's going to lose New Hampshire because uh, Bernie's a favorite son there. And then, even though that doesn't mean a lot, it's going to mean a lot to the media. It's a headache for Hillary. More tomorrow. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.